Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next. The best is yet to come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism. Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee. And the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah and how God's call on His people in that day is one He still has for us in 2023. May He find us faithful as we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. I'm sure this has happened to you where you have a moment where maybe it's a, a quotation in a movie or from a TV show or even an Instagram post or uh, something that you see uh, in, in an article and, and you see a quotation or you see a picture or something and it just resonates with you. It really speaks to your core and maybe that's happened to you before where you're like, I feel seen all of a sudden based on what I just heard or what I've just encountered. Maybe for you it was back in the 90s when you saw Forrest Gump for the first time and you know, Tom Hanks has this amazing quotation of, you know what mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. Okay, I was like, please tell me y'all have seen that movie. <laughs> wow. You never know what you're going to get, and you're thinking to yourself, that's life. You just never know what you're going to get. Or maybe you were a Friday Night Lights fan like I was, and when you heard that mantra of clear eyes, full art, can't lose, you would just, it just, you were ready. I mean, you were ready to suit up and go take the field. Or maybe it was a song lyric. Maybe it was Alanis Morissette from the 90s with that great rhetorical question of, isn't it ironic, don't you think? Um, the real ironic part, though, is that most of that song is not irony. I mean, that's just really bad circumstances. 10,000 spoons and all you need is a knife. That's not irony. That's just wrong place, wrong time. But I digress. Some of you guys are going to look that up later. But uh, for, uh, for me, it's memes. You know, memes always speak to me. They really see these things that I see out on Instagram or Twitter. They really speak to me, and, and I see them sometimes, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I, I, I get it. And so I share one of my favorite ones with you. 2000 was 20 years ago, which is really weird because 1980 was also 20 years ago. <laughs> Anybody else feel seen? <laughs> because when you tell me 20 years ago, I am not going to the early 2000s. I mean, I'm going back into the 1980s, but in reality, that's 40 years ago for those of you that are doing the math. Why do I bring all of this up? Because anytime that I can work Friday Night Lights into a message, that's a win. But more significantly than any of that, I believe that there is something to be said about moments when there is a message or a phrase or a quotation or something that just cuts us to the core. These moments when you realize, I just needed to hear that. I all of a sudden understand something that I've never understood before. I, I feel something that I have never felt before. And I know in my heart that that was for me. 
that that was a word from God to me directly. And I need to put that into action and prayerfully that happens in your time with the Lord, whether it's your individual quiet time or in the times that we are in here together opening up God's Word. And that is my prayer today, is that you will understand something about God's call for your life or God's plan for your life through this study that we're in, going through the book of Nehemiah. And as we're looking at what's next in the life of our church, my hope and prayer is that you will be able to walk away today and say, I know exactly why I was here. I know exactly why I was here. That was the reason that God brought me today. And so my hope and my prayer is that you will see that. Now, if you're new to Scripture or you're new to church and you've never studied the book of Nehemiah before, I'm going to give you a heads up on this. For those of you that just like to get things done, Nehemiah is for you. For those of you that are just like, I need a little bit less talk and a lot more action in life, if that's you, Nehemiah should be the Bible study book that you go through all the time. Because it is all about that. If you've ever needed to just kind of grow in your leadership, Nehemiah is for you. If you've ever been kind of feeling like I need to get out of my comfort zone a little bit, then the book of Nehemiah is for you. And as we grow together, I pray that God will very clearly show you some next steps today as a result of his word. But what's actually going on in the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah is an Israelite. He's a high-ranking official in the army in the palace of King Artaxerxes. In fact, uh, he's the cupbearer to the king, and being so, he is second in charge of a lot of the day-to-day operations of King Artaxerxes. And what's happened is thousands of Israelites have left Babylon. They were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, and thousands of them have been freed to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And so uh, guys like Zerubbabel and Ezra that we've studied recently, they go back to rebuild the temple. But Nehemiah continues to get these reports from people who are coming back and forth. The temple is rebuilt. Things are going well there. But there's also spiritual growth that needs to happen in the life of the Israelites. But really significantly, Nehemiah, the walls of the city around Jerusalem have been destroyed. And nobody, have, nobody has rebuilt those yet. The state of the walls are in a very disgraceful place. And so that causes Nehemiah to mourn. And it causes him to weep over the city that he loves. And so he prays uh, to God for wisdom about what to do. And that's where we pick up in chapter 2. Chapter 2 picks up right at the kind of the heels of Nehemiah praying to God, what should I do about the state of affairs in Jerusalem? And so that's where we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you want to follow along with me, you're going to see these words up here on the screen as well. But I want to read the first 10 verses because it shows us a little bit of what Nehemiah's first steps are as he's seeking to fulfill what it is that the Lord has for him. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine. This is Nehemiah writing. I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal 
park, so he would give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates, and I gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent me army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So in the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, Nehemiah, he takes wine to the king because that was one of his jobs. And if you recall from chapter 1, Nehemiah had just received reports about what was happening in Jerusalem. And he had received these reports that it was very, very bad, that the walls needed to be rebuilt, that the people were struggling, that the city in some regards was still in shambles. The physical structure had been rebuilt, but there was a lot of rebuilding personally in the lives of the Israelites and then, of course, in the walls of the city that needed to happen. And this moved Nehemiah, and it says that it caused him to go to a place of fear. And with fear and trembling, he goes before King Artaxerxes because he, I'm sure, doesn't know how this is going to be received. He's going to ask King Artaxerxes for time away from his role so that he can go rebuild the city. But he doesn't just ask for time off. He also says, King Artaxerxes, if you could give me some letters that would give me safe passageway on this, you know, four-month journey. It's kind of like a letter that would say, no pirate or attacker should come into my presence because I'm on the king's business. And also, if you could connect me up with ASAP so that I could have somebody donate all of the timber to rebuild the wall. And some of you are thinking, that sounds like my mom. She's just always afraid, never afraid to ask for anything. That is some of you guys where you're just like, I mean, if there's a question to be asked, I'm going to ask it. Nehemiah says, I'll ask for time off. But I'm also going to ask for letters for safe passageway, and I'm also going to ask for Asaph to provide all the resources that I need. Why is he doing this? Why did he feel so confident in those requests? When you look back at verse 8, Nehemiah says, I'm doing all of this because the hand, the gracious hand of the Lord is up on me. And because the gracious hand of the Lord is up on me, I can walk in confidence knowing what the Lord has placed on my heart or placed on my life to do. But what really served as the catalyst for Nehemiah to even ask these questions? I mean, think about it. Under what obligation was Nehemiah to care about the situation in Jerusalem? He was under no obligation to care at all. He had no responsibility to care. I mean, look at his life. He was second in command in Babylon in King Artaxerxes' palace. He did not have to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Even if he had cared about it, he didn't need to care. But even if he cared and said, I'm not going to go, but I'm going to go through Babylon and I'm going to handpick the best architects, the best builders, the best financiers, I'm going to go cherry pick everybody so that I will send back a group to go rebuild the walls. That's not what happened. He was moved with compassion. And he said, I'm not just going to pawn this off on somebody else but I'm going to go do this because I was moved with compassion. Back in verse 2, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? How can I be happy when Jerusalem lay in ruin? His heart was broken by the needs. How about you and I? Maybe you want to write this question down and think about it this morning. What breaks your heart? It's a great question to ask yourself. What breaks your heart? Do the spiritual needs of others break your heart? 
Does it bother you that there are people in your circle right now that may not have a relationship with Jesus and are not going to spend that eternity with God? Does it break your heart when you hear about people's marriages struggling or do you just kind of look from a distance and say, thank God that's not me? Or you see someone else kind of under the weight of oppression or the weight of anxiety or the weight of addiction, all the things that we may struggle with, and are you moved to compassion to help? Does it break your heart? Or do you just say, thank goodness I don't deal with that like they do. See, what breaks your heart? Every person has a heart that breaks for something. And whatever our heart breaks for is a pretty good indicator of where our priorities are. And for Nehemiah, his heart was broken on behalf of the spiritual needs and the physical needs of those in Jerusalem. Sometimes my heart breaks because my car is not as nice as everybody else's car. Or sometimes your heart might break because your kid's batting average is in the lower half of the team. And that breaks your heart. And there's nothing wrong with caring about those kinds of things. But perhaps one of the messages that the Lord would put into our heart right now is a deep desire for our hearts to be broken about the things that really matter. And so Nehemiah feels that. And before he acts on that, keep in mind, I've told you, if you're a type A person, you love Nehemiah. Before he even acts on that, before he starts the execution of his business model and his plan of going back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, before any of that happens, the king asked him, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And it says in verse 4, the king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed, and then I gave my response. What does that mean for you and I? It means that prayer should always precede our plans, shouldn't it? Prayer should always precede our plans. Maybe whether it's big or small, may we become a people who say, you know what, I want to pray before I proceed. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to fall to your knees in every meeting in the conference room, but perhaps before you send an email that's hard to send, hit send on, maybe you pray before that. Maybe before a big purchase, you pray. Maybe before a difficult conversation, you pray. Maybe before you act a fool on the basketball court, you pray. Maybe before you make a significant business decision, you take some time to pray. I believe if you and I could just get into this habit, that we would find so much more momentum and traction in our life. And Nehemiah is showing us this example to boldly state what he knew God wanted him to do. He was boldly saying, this is what I need to do. This is what I want to do. But before that, he was moved in a direction that God led him. And that happened through prayer. So back in verse 5, it says, "Um, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Let me go back to Judah so that I can help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, let's hang out here for just a second because this is a picture that you and I understand. If you have a job, even if you don't have a job, if you've ever had a job in your life, you know that every place that you work, there is a hierarchy in that office, isn't there? There's roles, there's senior account executives, there's junior account executives, there's owners, there's employees, there's team members, there's team directors, there's team managers. Whatever the case might be, you know in your organization there is a ladder that you can climb in that organization. I mean, look at Nehemiah here. He is at pretty much the top of the food chain in his organization. I mean, he's second in command. This is not a step up the corporate ladder for Nehemiah. This is not a good career move for him because, I mean, there's only one guy above him, and that's king. (laughs) 
And so instead of just progressing and staying really content in what he does, he climbs off this really high rung on the ladder, goes all the way down to the ground, takes a step over, and takes the first step up on a completely different ladder. And it's a ladder of service. He's left the creature comforts and the influence and the wealth and the ability to just direct everybody else in the kingdom to do what he wants them to do, to step up and say, I'm going to be the leader who rebuilds this wall around Jerusalem. I'm not sure if I'd be willing to do this. Would I be willing to leave a place of such prominence to go to a place where God calls me that's a lot more unknown, that more physically is going to be demanded of you, that's probably a lot scarier, which means that it's safe that, to say that we should ask ourselves this question, would we be willing to do what Nehemiah does? In fact, posed another way, maybe you want to write this down, are you willing to leave what's comfortable when God calls you? Are you willing to leave what's comfortable when God calls you? See, when you see what God is doing, are you able to say, my obedience to the call of God in my life is so much more important than my comfort? Can you and I say that this morning? Henry Blackaby, one of the great men of faith, says, and I quote, always see where God is working and see to join him there. That you and I should always wake up every morning and say, where is God working? And wherever God is working, that's where I want to be. Wherever God is moving, that's where I want to be, regardless of how comfortable it may be. Now, what's the likelihood that when you and I step to a place where God is working, that it's always going to be comfortable? I'm going to go with pretty low. <laughs> when you and I position ourselves in a place to say, I want to be where God is always working and always on the move, the likelihood of that being a place where all of our creature comforts are just met all the time is probably low. A lot of us have made comfort kind of this idol. And it's this little G God in many of our lives where we would say, you know what, I'm never willing to leave what's comfortable, where maybe not a whole lot is asked of me to go to a place where a lot is going to be asked of me that is so much more uncomfortable. But haven't you found in your own life when you step out of that comfort zone that that's when life really gets fun? That's when life really gets thrilling. And that's where the Lord uses you in ways that you could have never asked or imagined. I mean, think about serving people. I stand on this stage almost every week and tell you that you should serve people. Is serving people comfortable? Is putting yourself intentionally in the lives of other people a comfortable move? Absolutely not. If you think people are comfortable, you are telling me you've never worked with them. If you think a movement towards the lives of people and their needs and what's stressing them out and stepping into their lives and helping them, if you think that's going to bring a lot of comfort in your life, then think again. But what does serving do for you? As uncomfortable as it may be, serving is life-giving, isn't it? Because you realize life is not about me. And you put yourself out there, and you're able to help meet the needs of someone else, or you're able to meet a physical need, or you're able to just fill a request, and there's something that's in your heart that lets you know that you made a difference. It may not be comfortable, but it's oh so good. I want you to listen to a portion of this email that I received uh, from someone right here at Rolling Hills. I got this email a couple weeks ago. And this lady in life of our church said, um, and I quote, I lost my 14-year-old son just over a year ago. I adopted him, so it was truly just me and him. I lost my purpose, I lost my joy, and I came close to losing my life. Thankfully, I wasn't successful, and I'm still here finding a new purpose. I realize that I can still have an impact on the next generation, even though I lost my child. 
I've never thought about making an impact while serving with kids at Rolling Hills, but now I think about it differently. I've been in church my entire life, but I've never experienced a church like this. And I thought to myself, here's a person who has gone through what I can't even imagine being anything lower, losing a child, and has thought, could my purpose in actually making a difference in the next generation even exist anymore? And she saw a request on one of these cards that we need more people to serve with our preschoolers and our kids. And she said yes to that. And now all of a sudden she says, I have a purpose. I can invest in the next generation. I can make a difference. Do you think that was comfortable for her? I know that's not comfortable for her. But yet she's saying it's life-giving. I think about financial stewardship. It's not comfortable. You could do a lot with 10% extra of your income (laughs) opposed to tithing. You could look at this campaign that we're in right now called Next, and you could say, that's for other people. I wish the church all the best in that, but that's not for me. But when you step out in faith, something happens. I was talking to a couple recently here in the life of our church, and they are a fantastic couple. They are not rich. They are not poor. They are squarely in the middle. They just live life below their means They've sought to be faithful, to tithe, faithful to invest. And they shared with me just the other day in in a conversation, they said, we've never regretted generosity. It has always been uncomfortable, but we've never regretted it. And then they proceeded to tell me about the peace that they have in their life that they never experienced until they made a move towards this spiritual discipline. And trust me, it's not comfortable to sit up here on a stage and talk to you about money because money is one of the things that holds a stronghold over our life. But what I do know is what will happen in your life when you leave what's comfortable to what God is calling you to do. And if you're willing to do that, there is something on the other side that is oh so good. That's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. He is taking stock of what's happening in Jerusalem. And he says, instead of staying here in my palace, I'm going to choose to go where God is leading. And that's where we pick back up in verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And by night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal wall and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. And finally, I turned back and reentered through the valley gate. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked? Are you rebelling against the king? And I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. And so Nehemiah leaves with a very small group, and he sets out. He had not yet shared his five-year strategic plan with anybody. 
He had not shared it. He goes on his own. And don't you love this picture of leadership from Nehemiah? Nehemiah knows that great leaders don't just sit in offices and call shots. Great leaders don't just um, say, you need to be a part of a Bible study, but I'm not going to be a part of a Bible study. Great leaders aren't just armchair generals. Great leaders say, I want to get my eyes on what's happening out there. Great leaders say, I want to get my eyes on what's happening in my stores and in my offices. Great leaders say, I want to see what's happening in my kids' schools. I don't want to just call it in from a distance. Great leaders say, I want to sit down with teams in team meetings. Great spiritual leaders say, I'm going to put into practice what I'm seeking to preach. Because Nehemiah was a planner. I mean, he had a plan in Babylon. He worked that plan before the king. He didn't rely on someone else's description of what was happening. But he said, I want to see it myself. And after prayer and observation and going with a small group and taking at least three days to discern what's happening in Jerusalem, it says in verse 17 and 18 that he turned to his team and he said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. It's as if Nehemiah is saying, you see this situation, it's a lot, but God is bigger. You see these challenges, it's a lot, but God is bigger. And he shared not only about how dire the situation is, but more so he shared about how good God is. And their response to his kind of conversation was, let's go. Let's rebuild that vision that Nehemiah had, it was so contagious because the vision wasn't just rooted in himself and it wasn't just rooted in what he could do in his own power. He put a problem in front of his people, a task that was so huge and honestly not very glamorous, so much so that they chose to adopt this Nehemiah principle, which is really tough for us to say, you know what, we're going to care about that as well. And in our life, you and I are presented with the same kind of choices. Nehemiah showed up. He showed up in the lives of people. He showed up to meet those needs. Nehemiah led his people with compassion and with care. And when it comes to care, uh, this is really the Nehemiah principle. When it comes to care, you see the show on your screen. It's one thing to care from a distance, whereas not everybody's willing to care up close. Haven't you experienced that before? I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but have you ever had seasons of life where you just cared from a distance? I have. <laughs> Have you ever had seasons of your life when you pushed through and said, you know what, I'm going to care up close? That's what Nehemiah was doing. He didn't just care about Jerusalem from Babylon. He wanted to care about Jerusalem in Jerusalem. It's quite easier for us to kind of send prayers and best wishes from a distance, but it's another thing to show up in the life of someone it's so much more comfortable for me to say, this is really, really important to me. Now, I'm not going to do anything about it. <laughs> But it's really, really important to me. Whereas the call that God is placing on our life to discern what's next is not someone who just says, I know it's important to care from a distance, but I want to care up close. And this morning, we have a couple fantastic organizations that we're profiling here. The Nolensville Food Pantry, you can meet with Miss Debbie out front, as well as Justice and Mercy International, two of my favorite organizations that I am personally connected with because I can tell you with confidence that these are two organizations where you can get involved, where you can serve, where you can make a difference, and where if you choose to do so, you can care from a front row seat. 
and you can care really close. In fact, I hope that you'll go out there and talk about how you can be involved with the ongoing work of the Nolensville Food Pantry. I hope that you'll stop out there and talk uh, to our JMI representative about what it means to maybe sponsor an orphan or to go on one of our international mission trips. In fact, I want you to hear this morning from the national directors of our work with Justice and Mercy International, Sarah Rodriguez and Alina Magdaluk. And my hope and my prayer is that you'll be inspired by a little bit of their story and that you'll be called to not just love and care from a distance, but to care up close for the work that God's doing. Take a look at this. Well, I have the privilege to be sitting here with our national directors from Moldova and the Amazon, and Sarah and Alina are part of our church family. You know, we started Justice Mercy International 15 years ago, and who could have ever dreamed or imagined what God was going to do? And we are so excited about what he's done and what he's going to do next. Hey, tell us what's happening in the Amazon, Sarah, and then in Moldova, Alina. First, it's awesome to be here. It's also a blessing to be with Rolling Hills Church family. We feel the love, the continual love and partnership with you guys. And this year was a crazy big year in the Amazon as we had two full conferences after the pandemic and all that we went through. The pastors, we felt like they were back in joy and ministry and encouraged, but also so many mission teams from both um, America and from Brazil. Our children are sponsored. We opened libraries, we opened schools. We continue to see the people in the jungle praying for help and the Lord continuing to respond to those needs in places that probably you and I will never get to, but these jungle pastors are all over the jungle, bringing the kingdom as we continue to push them forward. I'm very grateful that he continues to hear the Lord continues to respond, and we're a part of that. Elena, you, you've had a lot this year in Moldova, too. Yeah, tell us kind of what's going on there now. All the programs are running. Jemai uh, continues to help, support, and provide hope for the needy children and teenagers in Moldova. Uh, we started the new school year with over 20 new transitional living kids, uh, teenagers, which is extremely uh, wonderful and fun. Uh, we. Uh, continue to sponsor kids in the villages, over 70 villages in Moldova, where children receive help monthly and um, they receive the uh, news of uh, salvation and the good news of Jesus. Uh, we started the new program, Youth Development. It has been a great success. Everybody loves it. We have the number of staff growing. We have new transition living kids who became our colleagues, who became the staff. Uh, we continue to feel the prayers, the love, and the support of Rolling Hills, of GMI, and we're so thankful that you go with us through uh, COVID, pandemic, through war, inflation, everything. Mm. Thank you so much, and we do feel the support and the love daily. We're in a campaign, we're talking about the next 20 years at church and the next mission, and are encouraging everybody to take a next step. You know, what, what are some of the plans that you have coming up next? The Amazon, Jeff, mm. you've and I mean, yeah. it's a yes. three million people living within the jungle, and I feel like we never have enough. Mm -hmm. There's always too much for us to do. And we keep talking about the pastor's conference and how that is central and essential. It's because training has allowed the locals to provide a better life, provide God's love, mm -hmm. provide a relationship with Jesus. And so for the next year, uh, we're going from two pastor's conference to a third pastor's conference. Mm -hmm. We had over... 250 leaders being trained in this year and it was already over like it was packed and we couldn't have it anymore so in may we're adding a new conference we do have libraries on the way more villages that are yet to receive our sponsorship program through the kids it's a truly has been 
a lot, just now a nine-year-old learned how to read in one of our programs because she had no access to school. And those are some of the things that we get to do through our educational programs, as well as our mission teams, but also our jungle pastors are also, are now going on missions with a river church, their local church is going, which has been one of the most biblical things I have seen <laughs> to see a jungle church fulfilling the Great Commission, mm -hmm. as well as our um, transportation pastoral care. Pastors who are paddling for two days to get somewhere, we have been able to provide engines for them to get to further places quicker. More children. Yes. More children <laughs> sponsored in the villages, in shelters, mm -hmm. more young people coming to the houses who will mm -hmm. get a chance to become leaders, to become successful, to become independent. Mm -hmm. You know, so we are praying for uh, continuation of this new program, youth development. We want more houses. We mm -hmm. want mm -hmm. uh, community centers in the villages. We're praying for more projects, more ideas, and we pray that God blesses this beginning. Tell us, how can we be praying for both of you? That we would always be aligned with the Lord, mm -hmm. what He wills for the Amazon, but also for our staff, for mm -hmm. strength, for encouragement, for wisdom and vision, for provision of more people. The Bible tells us to pray for people and it's no joke. We mm -hmm. need more people. We need teams. We need people to come and help us on the ground. And if the Lord is speaking to some of you um, about how to serve, how to volunteer, everything that you see that is happening with Jeremiah is because some people said yes. Be encouraged to respond in however way the Lord is is calling you to. The jungle needs the Lord. They need Jesus because I'm not there all the time to heal them with mm. the ibuprofen, but the Lord can. Mm. I'm not always there to hug them and to comfort them, but the Lord is. Mm. And so uh, we do pray that this next year will be a year of salvation and mm. redemption. The harvest is ready. Uh -huh. uh, we need more people yeah. for the step for Moldova, for the courage, mm. for more love, more patience, uh, strength from the Lord, uh, for provision, for help, for unity. Mm -hmm. We want to all be united in this wonderful desire to pursue His kingdom. Well, we want you guys to know that we are praying for you. And uh, we just want to encourage every one of us to take it a next step and maybe going on a mission trip at some point to the Amazon or to Moldova or sponsoring a child, you know, or sponsoring a pastor. I mean, we have JMI reps at all of our campuses. It's Mission Sunday. And so for us, that opportunity that we have as we grow spiritually. And so can I pray for you guys right now? Let's say a prayer right now. Father, thank you for Sarah and for Alina. God, thank you for the hundreds of thousands of pastors and vulnerable children that are in the Amazon, God, that you have called us to minister to. Thank you for the thousands of precious orphan and vulnerable children in Moldova, the transitional homes. God, I pray for Sarah and Alina, give them wisdom, God. Just give them a real sense of your presence with them. Protect them, God. And Lord, I pray that we all stay in the center of your will. Thank you for what you're doing at Rolling Hills and JMI. And God, we give you our lives and we give you what's next. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm so inspired by Alina, and I'm so inspired by Sarah. And when I hear their stories, um, I can't help but think they're so much like Nehemiah. And the work in uh, these places, the work that happens with the Knowlesville Food Pantry, it's Nehemiah kind of work. And what I love about it is they choose to put themselves at a really interesting junction. They choose to put themselves at a really interesting intersection. And I hope and pray that all of us will make that choice to be committed to live at that intersection as well. You see this here on your notes. Our desire should be to seek to live at the intersection of a deep commitment to God 
and a deep vision for the work of God. What does it look like in our life to live at that intersection of a deep commitment to God and a deep vision for the work of God? Nehemiah was really deep. He was really committed. And you and I should be really deep and committed. The problem is, is when we're only deep and we don't have a vision for the work of God, then we become spiritually obese. (laughs) And we just kind of make life about us. And it's about all the things that we can consume. But then when we kind of go over here to the other pendulum, if I'm only passionate about the vision, if I'm only passionate about the work itself, and that's all I ever do without a deep commitment to God, how long do I stay in that work? Not very long. I fizzle out because I don't have any hope to continue to tout. I don't have any peace to continue to share. So it's all about that intersection. That's the golden intersection to say, I want to live at the deep commitment to God that meets with the deep vision for the work of God. And that is precisely where Nehemiah lived. And as he moved forward, the critics came out. People came out criticizing him, saying, why are you doing this? Why do you care? But in every instance, he immediately turns it back to God, and he says, God will give us the success. God will be the one who's glorified, and God will give us the success. And as we close today, I hope and pray that you will write this down. And that maybe this will be what you take home with you today. When you trust God above all, success always follows. When you trust God above all, success always follows. Now, this does not mean that worldly success is always going to follow. Let me clarify that. It doesn't mean that worldly success is always going to follow. It doesn't mean that worldly promotions are going to come your way. It doesn't mean that worldly payrolls are going to be heaped up on you. But trusting God always leads to godly success. And godly success is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Godly success is you and I waking up every morning and saying, you know what, I have a peace that passes all understanding. Godly success is me waking up in the morning and saying, I don't have to be anxious about anything. But through prayer and supplication, I make those requests known. And God, hears me, godly success is that deep abiding faith in knowing that when I bring my all to him, holding nothing back, that he uses me and he will use you as he desires. So this morning, maybe you need to get out of your comfort zone. Maybe this morning you need to take a step of faith and be challenged. Maybe this morning that step of faith that the Lord's asking you to take is a step of salvation, understanding maybe for the first time what Jesus has done for you and responding in the gospel power through Holy Spirit work. Whatever that might be, will you ask God right now to give you the faith to respond to what he has impressed upon your heart today? And if there's anything from his word that has spoken to your core today, may you walk away with the courage to say yes and the courage to follow wherever God is leading you. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.